This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of The Career Musician, we have Scott Francisco. Scott studied composition and guitar performance at the University of Southern California. Scott, who now works as a composer, guitarist, and music editor for film and television. He has worked closely with many composers, including Christoph Beck, Patrice Russian, Michael Penn, and Charles Sidnor. His compositions have appeared in numerous short films, advertisements, music libraries, network television shows, including Rec, Girls, Malcolm in the Middle, Help Me Help You, and Lever. Scott has also had the privilege of working on many notable films such as the Academy Award-nominated A Mother's Promise, Geostorm, Hacker, Pay the Ghost, Fame. In addition to film and television, Scott has over two decades of experience in record production and has contributed to albums by artists such as Mick Jagger, Puddle of Mud, Goo Goo Dolls, Blues Traveler, Dokken, Liz Fair, and many others. Right here on The Career Musician, Scott Francisco. Scott Francisco. I love that name. Welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. That's a cool name, by the way. It's kind of fake, but... Uh, okay. <laughs> it's Well, the the, the original uh, uh, family name was Francesca until my great-grandfather hit Ellis Island, and then he was John Francisco Sr. You're like the, the umpteenth person that said that. Oh, there goes the fire engine. Yeah. That's like the, you're the umpteenth person that said that on the podcast. You know, everybody, once you come through Ellis Island in New yeah. York, you know. My, my wife often gets asked, like, are you married to like a Filipino guy? Because you know, uh, there's, there's Franciscos around, but they're all like in the Philippines. Like all the Franciscos I met are from the Philippines or like Dominican Republic, places like that. Right. But yeah. it's Italian. Oh, uh, yeah. My, fam- my dad's side of the family is all Italian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so you're mixed? Yeah. And then uh, my. my my mom's side are like kind of generally waspy, uh, you know, like Anglo-Saxon types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, I love the mixed thing. I'm Cuban-Italian. My father's from Cuba. Love the Italian stuff, so love to eat. Anyway, super <laughs> glad to have you here. And what's so cool is we have a lot in common because you're a guitar player, you're an engineer, you're a composer, producer, all of the above. Now, uh, what we do have in common is the guitar first and then the composing and production However, I am a fake engineer. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so I know how to engineer really well for the shit that I do, mm-hmm. which is mostly just recording guitar. Um, and Well, I shouldn't say that. For clients, it's recording guitar. 
and composing, I know how to get my way around all the DAWs and all these softwares, but software. But that's for me. I have never been an engineer for clients like you have. And it was really cool because I got to witness you in action for two or three days. And, you know, just like any high-end engineer, every red fireball that was thrown at you, you were <laughs> catching and deflecting and, and putting out. You know, you had like a the proverbial bucket of water right next to you. Psh, that one's out, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, well, that, that was an interesting run of sessions because we did, you know, we worked at the really nice place where I had an assistant. Right. And I didn't have to touch the, I mean, I didn't really drive Pro Tools at all. I could just sit behind the console and like listen. And then, then, and then the very next day we were in a project studio huddled together and I had to like solve every problem and, and put out fires and stuff. So yeah, that was both sides of it like very quickly. Yeah, and you were solving both, <laughs> both sides of it very quickly. Yeah. You were. It's more fun to have an assistant and like have lunch brought in and stuff like that. Though. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so one of the first questions I always ask my guests is, uh, you know, how did the music bug bite you? I mean, we all have our stories, right? Yeah, I, I had, when I was a kid, my mom is the oldest of four sisters. So when I was a kid and we go to my grandparents' house, my youngest aunt was a teenager. Mm. So I'd go sit in her room. You know, I don't want to hang out with the grownups anyway. So I'd, I'd go sit in her room and put on headphones and just listen to records. That's what, like, like nice. she put on Van Halen 1 for me. Like, imagine nine-year-old nine me sitting okay. on, the floor. you know those, like, brown Koss headphones you got at Radio Shack, the yeah, plastic yeah. ones? Yes, yeah. yes. Wearing a pair of those headphones and she puts on the beginning of Van Halen 1. Oh, dude. <laughs> And the first thing you hear is, doo -doo 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 yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I was kind of hooked from there on out. And she had a very, wow. uh, you know, sort of like good collection of like black t-shirt rock to listen to from the, I like that black t-shirt yeah, rock. From the, the late 70s, you know, Cheap Trick and uh, yeah. Skinnerd and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah. that's what I got into originally. And then when I got into, you know, I, I got my own stuff. I, I started a business uh, cleaning tennis courts for people. Which says something about the neighborhood I grew up in, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I got enough money to get a CD player. I was like the first kid I knew at school that had a CD player in like, you know, 1982 or 83 wow. or whatever. It wasn't a very nice one, but it was, you know, and I, I would just like buy CDs like crazy. And then finally I got a job at a record store so I could just like take my paychecks and nice. know, convert them into music without, you know, I could I literally put my paycheck in the register you know, like you could, like you used to be able to cash checks, you oh, know, that's right. just right back in the register and just load up on CDs. And, <laughs> yeah. That is awesome, man. That's another thing we have in common, Van Halen. That, that's my story. When I saw him play on MTV back in 1984, I was like, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up the old guitar again because I had one under the bed, you know? Yeah. I, I remember too, they did the, the video for Panama. They mm -hmm. ran as like a trailer before... I don't even know what movie, you know, whatever movie in 1984, 85 that was. Right. I, I remember seeing it in a movie theater and my longtime best friend since high school, who's a much better guitar player than I am, like that's what did it for him. Like he saw uh, the Panama video yeah. up, on a big, up on a big screen in a movie theater and like it blew his mind and that was that's that for him. That was it for him. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, so from there, you started as a guitar player. And then it morphed into composition, producing. I mean, or were you into bands? Like, what was your trajectory from there? I was got into playing guitar. I got very quickly. I got into recording myself. I got like a little Tascam mm -hmm. four track, like everybody yep. had back then. Yep. And um, four to one studio. Yeah, and my friends and I would, you know, we'd, you know, we'd like write kind of songs and record shit and. And then some of my friends started coming over, and I started recording them. Like Scott's got a four track. Well, let's go over to his house, and I built myself a little, 
there was like a room adjacent to our garage that was like just kind of like a workshop storage room. Mm-hmm. So I cleared that out <laughs> and made my little rehearsal room. And it, it was bitching too because the garage was like a cinder block. It was cinder block walls on three sides and dug into a hill. So it was literally a bunker. So nice. we could go in there and just make a tremendous make racket and no one complained, which was great. And um, was, yeah. that, was that out here? I'm sorry. I that was in that. Anaheim. Yeah. Anaheim. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in Anaheim. Gotcha. And moved all the way to Burbank when I grew up. Well, <laughs> which, for those of you who don't know, is about an hour north yeah, of, yeah. of Anaheim. Yeah. yeah. Burbank is the media capital of the world, as they say. It's a pretty good... Oftentimes. Yeah. If you, if, if you do what we do, it's a pretty good spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got into like you know making four-track recordings and, and stuff like that. And then after high school, you know, I was always in one band or another, and... You know, so it was, like, we were always making demos, and you know, at a certain point, we were, got to the point where we we're making like real demo. You know, you like go to a studio, make it, you know, buy a reel of tape, and make a real demo. Yeah, with like like you had to do back then. Sure. And I was never happy with how they sounded. Uh-huh. Um, so I said like, so at a certain point, I you know, I realized like I, I got to learn how to do all this stuff myself, or I'm never going to be happy with anything right. I recorded. Uh-huh. Of course, it eventually turned out that I was never happy with anything I recorded either. But you know, but you know, so I, I, I sort of got in and and learned everything I could about engineering. And then in college, I took all the classes I could, while while majoring in music, I was taking recording classes and you know, music like electronic music. Uh, mm. right, you know, what else did I take? I didn't take any live. I I never really did a lot of live sound. I, I'm kind of glad I'm not deaf. I'd probably be deaf now if I yeah, did. Yeah. Um, but you know, there was like there was like a whole like music production component to the to to school. So I did as much of that as I could. Um, took a lot of film classes too, um, which at the time was just to eat up units. But uh, it turned out those were became useful later. Paid off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I learned enough about the filmmaking. Not really about the process, but about the the theory behind it. Mm. Um, you know, and, and like the kind of critical studies kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then that that's actually served me pretty well. Um, you know, and then after college, I um, my my first job. I, I wasn't even done with college yet. I started working for Vector, which was Mike Post's old cartage and audio rental company. It was part of his empire. Wow, really? I didn't even know. I I knew who Mike was by then. You know, he was kind of revered, like the USC studio guitar program. Like he's kind of revered. The, the composer to the to the gods on everything. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I got hired at this place. I didn't even know it was part of Mike's empire, and it's gone. It's it's where I worked. Where Westwind is now. Ah. Um, the building I worked in actually got bulldozed for the Westwind parking lot. Okay, and Westwind is uh, the the mixing stages and post production facility in Burbank that Mike owns, and then he's wow. he owns a studio next to that and then his office is nearby and like we were just talking about this the other day he's still working he's yeah still he still works stuff. yeah where is this you said west wind where is that facility? it's right if you get off the freeway at burbank boulevard yeah wait am i saying this right no you get Do off the freeway at alameda sorry i'm going to my house get <laughs> off the freeway at alameda going northbound that off-ramp that's the west wind building that gray building right there on wow. the corner uh, it's you know like all those places are kind of nondescript like if you don't yeah. know what it is you never know it was there yeah but um when i was there mike was really smart because he 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 created an empire and he controlled every aspect of making music for media you know he he was writing music he owned the cartage company that hauled all his guys mm-hmm. stuff and the contractor that 
contracted all the sessions and then eventually he built a studio to, you know it's like he controlled the whole thing and he was you know every aspect of it he was he was making money off of it was you know that's he's, incredible it's pretty genius um it's very genius. yeah but at the time they they still had the cartridge company and the audio rentals um and it was a great job because like i had a truck i had a bunch of stuff to deliver you know like uh john goo is one of our clients oh yeah um willie ornelas uh Ferroni, um, Arnie Eggleson was a stand-up bass player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of our busiest Steve guys. Steve Ferroni, the drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he was kind of an oddball client because he wasn't around. You know, he'd like be on tour for months at a time and then sure. come back. And he had he had literally a ton of shit. Yeah, of course. I love that because I like we got it back from off a plane one time and there was a bill of lading. It was nineteen hundred and eighty-five pounds or something. Like literally a ton oh of shit. Oh my god, a ton! Literally yeah. a ton. Of shit. Um, I love that. Yeah, but you know, so I, I had a truck and I would just drive around to studios all over town and deliver you know equipment for guys and i got to meet you know oh so you were working for vector yeah mike's company yeah. got it i almost never like i met mike like twice like okay. i wasn't like involved with mike you know on his side with you know the writing and stuff sure, then, which sure. would have been great but it, you know um but I, I went to you know every studio in town i met every wow. player in town and you know, and like you don't get to necessarily know all these people really well, but you see them around, and they see me. And you know, ten years later, when I'm doing something, you know, where I have a, you know, where I'm like part of the process, like they recognize me. It's like, oh, I remember. Right. Didn't you used to be a cartridge guy? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And like, a long time ago, they're yeah. instantly a little yeah. bit more comfortable from f- with you because they know you. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, I've seen this guy around. He's all, he's been out here for ten years. You know, he knows working pro- his way he up. He knows the whole process. You know, he right, must not right. be retarded. Right. You know? So <laughs> that's awesome. So that's my great. That was a great entry level job to do for like a year. You know, and then I sort of, then I got my first gig, like actually working for a a composer. And you know, the whole time I was still doing like engineering work or whatever else I could get and playing in bars and you know. So so you were that's a very smart uh, business plan too. So you're you're earning money in multiple streams of income, right? That's that's how uh, smart. multiple. N- nominal streams of income but yeah sure <laughs> but you're playing gigs yeah you're engineering for people yeah you're doing cartage okay right what else um i mean that's three right there that's pretty good uh, yeah that, that was keeping me pretty busy you yeah, know and, and i always work. had a band going you know okay. trying to get a record deal and so you know so right and you're producing that set yeah and, and and you know there was synergy there like I, you know the audio rentals like i could yeah. like any piece of audio equipment i needed to record stuff for me you had it there you know, you know like take it home at night you know need some 1073s to record some guitar overdubs you know Bam. Throw my car at the end of the night, take them home, do my stuff, bring them back the next day. I mean, you know, I asked I asked them if I could, and they didn't mind, but Super usually. Dope. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, by the way, where did you go to school? I meant to ask USC. You. I, oh, you did say that. Well, USC. I, I went to Fullerton College first okay. after I got out of high school and did their program, which was great. Uh, and Fullerton, then I, where is that? Uh, it's in it's on um, Harbor, Har- like Harbor and Lemon, Lemon okay. in Fullerton. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, so I went through their whole program, then with USC. Their um, whole program, they had a, a the, yeah, media like an program? associates degree, okay. you know, music program. Gotcha. And then transferred. USC was yeah. that a film uh, major or uh, guitar? Was it? it was a studio composition guitar. studio guitar. Just studio guitar. I didn't do a little composition, but I didn't really like. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. If I had to do it over again, I don't know. I might have done the, like the composing program might have been. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, yeah. how, it's it's my guitar playing probably wouldn't have developed as much but my composing might have developed quicker but the kind of you know it's a different they they also had like a separate like film composing program Mm -hmm. um 
but I don't know. You, you, they're all kind of different disciplines, you know. So it's it's hard to say like what would a right. what would have changed, you know, what part of my career. Well, well, so. it's it's interesting, and I always love talking to people about it because I didn't. I dropped out of college. I had a scholarship to a, a community college in South Florida where I was growing up at the time. I'm from New York originally, but uh, I dropped out because I got a gig. Yeah. And but I always knew I wanted to be a session guitarist, a studio yeah. guitarist. Uh, so from then on, I just. It was all on my own, just studies and learning a bunch of different styles. I've always loved being versatile. I love, you know, all the genres, really. I love playing different stringed and fretted instruments or non-fretted for that fact. So I just did it on my own without schooling. But I love talking to people who did it from the schooling vantage point because, you know, we get to compare, really, we get to compare, you know, green apples to red apples, so to speak, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I think if I had, like pigeonholed myself as just a guitar player and just focused in on that yeah i don't know how i don't know how much i could have gotten like i was you know i i wasn't that good like i like there's no way i'd be a session guy now i don't think i just <laughs> like i'm just not that good so i i sort of realized at a certain point it's like i need to learn how to do all kinds of stuff and hustle and that's how i'm gonna get by and that's sort of how it's played out Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. All right, so I, I love this because, you know, gosh, there's so many things to unpack here. So the first thing is, I totally agree with you. I like the idea that you didn't just focus on guitar. Excuse me, the first part of my career I did, and then I just started realizing I'm not just a guitar player. I'm a songwriter, producer, composer, and then I started branching out, and that really helped me. I, I do think that for the younger people coming up, aspiring to do what we do, you should devote the first portion of your studies and your life to really becoming good at one or two things that you naturally, right? And then expound on that as time goes on. Wouldn't you agree? It sounds like that's what you did. Yeah, I, I out of necessity, I did. And also, you know, at a certain point, like, you know, you'll drive yourself insane if you just get too focused in on one thing. You have to, right. you have to expand your your horizons or you're going to be a really, you know, that's when you meet these guys who like, like all this guy's done for 50 years is play piano. 
<laughs> and yeah. he's really good, but he's also super weird. Yeah. And I don't really want to talk to him. Or, or, you know? and, or a little bitter even. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, know, yeah. so, yeah. and, you know, eventually, especially these days, you know, like the, the era of the, you know, three sessions a day guy oh, is long past. So, you know, you got to find other ways. You know, if you want to play guitar mm -hmm. for a living all the time, you know, you got to find other ways to. A, you got to find ways to get yourself out there. So otherwise, right. nobody's going to know about you. And you know, B, you got to like, you know, when you're, you know, get a nice gig. You're out on the road. Great. You know, that's nice. You know, yeah. doing session. You know, you can get enough regular session work to get by. Sure, but you know, it's like you still have downtime. You got to do something with it. So you got to expand out somewhere and that's find right. other things. You know. That's right. Now you and I met indirectly through a mutual friend, Eric Valentine. Shout out to Eric. Yes. An amazing drummer, composer, producer, musician, artist, all of the above, like us, right? Yeah. He's <laughs> Many hats. The guy I record the most. Oh, there you recently, go. Yeah. Now you've been working with him at his studio, his project uh -huh. studio, uh -huh. which is a great studio. You have a Neve console uh -huh. over there. Uh, so we started doing cues for this TV show that I had a connection with, uh -huh. Fast Foodies, right? right? Which, by the way, your cues are dope. Thank you so much. Oh, you my and, pleasure. You and Eric were always submitting super <laughs> hot cues. Um, so we met indirectly through that, and then we got to physically meet at these sessions that we yeah. were just doing. But tell us about more about your actual experience, hands-on experience with hardware in the studio neve consoles outboard gear you know preamps and blah blah, blah. Right. how did you get that portion of your knowledge base well i had a brief like when vector closed down i'd been there for a year and they're like we're closing the company down this is right when west wind was going up it's like we're bulldozing this building wow we're building west wind all this stuff <laughs> yeah. and you're out of a job um <laughs> i lucked out and got a job with the composer right after just kind of right out of there like seamlessly which was pure luck um, which we'll skip for a moment and get back to, but that didn't last very long. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, um, I, you know, through connections I had made being a cartridge guy and doing audio rentals and stuff, um, I started working for another guy who had a studio. Um, we, at first he was running a studio own, he was running a studio that another guy owned, <laughs> mm. uh, a, one, a, a guy who was a big producer who had moved to Colorado and like left the studio equipped but empty so he was he was running it and you know bringing in outside clients and stuff and uh so he hired me and i worked there for a while uh and then eventually that studio got shut down and this guy who had enough gear to outfit his own studio by this point he bought a building put up a new studio and i worked there for a while i helped mm. them i actually helped them put everything in uh nice. we did a lot of I mean, like swinging a hammer. Like we did a lot of work on that building before the gear went in, and then getting all the gear in, and you know, it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, very. I learned a lot doing that because that's. You know, I already knew how to do wiring and stuff. I'd already learned a lot of that, but doing it on a scale like that, right, is a, is a whole other deal. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're talking. You know, this was 1997. In the heyday of the analog. So Studer analog yeah. machines. Yeah. It was a Neve 8068 with oh, all this wow. custom shit in it. That was really awesome. It was the best sounding console I've ever heard. Wow. Um, it was pretty genius. Like, How many channels? It was 32, yeah. and then it had a 16-channel uh, return, oh, like an okay. extra little return mixer in the middle. So it was, wow. you know, it was big enough to do records on. Of course. Um, and that was a really great studio. It's the the building's still there. Somebody's in it. It's um, no longer a commercial. Um, it's no longer a commercially bookable place like a lot of studios. But um, right. yeah, so I worked there for a few years, and I was like the staff engineer, and whoever came in, you know, I was either 
you know, if a client came in and they had an engineer, then I was the assistant. And if they didn't, I was the engineer. And, you know, I met all kinds of interesting people and worked on all kinds of interesting projects and, uh, you know, got my analog recording chops together. See, for sure. That's the, the knob twiddling era, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> I the, it. it was the all listening era. You like, yeah. you actually had to listen to what you, you were doing. Listen to shit, there was nothing to look, look at. at. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, it was a kind of a crack. Like I already knew a fair amount about recording, although well, my boss would have differed, I suppose. But <laughs> like I thought I knew a lot about recording, but like knowing a lot about recording and knowing about making records are two different things. So I learned a lot about making records, and you know, there was a lot of producers I learned stuff from, and and this was like from the time I started to the time I stopped working there was when Pro Tools basically took over. You know, okay. it was an esoteric rental item when I started, and it was. And it replaced the analog tape machine by the time I left. The mainstay. Yeah. 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 And it was very clear to me early on with some of the engineers I had worked with who were really good engineers. But, you know, it, early on, it was like you had the engineer and you had the Pro Tools guy. And, mm. like, the Pro Tools guy was like this little, like, you know, witch doctor over here, like, doing his weird shit that nobody Computer knew. Computer whiz. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, yeah. and um, it, it was pretty clear to me right off the bat that uh, as soon as that started happening, that. The engineer of the future is going to be the Pro Tools guy. Like, there's not, it's like, mm-hmm. this isn't a two person job. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, like, the engineer is going to have to know Pro Tools the way they know all this other stuff. All the Apple. And, game. you know, that came to pass. So, I, I'm, I, as soon as I could, I bought a little, um, was it the Project One? Remember those things? Or like the, the, the 001? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the, it was when Digit Design. Yeah, was, this was still yes, Digit Design. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, And the yes, Blackface, you know, Triple Eight. Yes. So, I bought, a, I bought the, uh, tri- I bought the 001. I made a record on it. Wow. Um, and uh, I basically taught myself how to do Pro Tools. And then hmm. I, I, I had a long run of work where I managed to make enough money where I bought a mix system. So I had a 24-channel mix system with the old hot swap hard drive, you know, 18 mm-hmm. gigabyte hot swap hard drive, you know, the whole thing. 18 gigabyte? Yeah. So I had a real That's Pro like Tools That's like a drop rig. in the bucket now. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> we made records on that shit. Um, wow. So I was, you know, I had a... Pro Tools rig you can make a record on, and then I started renting that out. I mean, it was still a rental item then, so if they rented in a Pro Tools system at the studio I worked at, it was mine, and very often it was making more money than I was. But very that's smart. You know, that was great, and that's when I that was the first time I started to really get ahead. Very you know, smart. You know. See, I like that. Yeah. Expound on that, if you will. Well, I I, I got like I think I borrowed fifteen grand from my dad, mm-hmm. and then I had like a I forget what I. I think it cost me about 25 grand to put the system together or something mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I paid my dad back in six weeks. He was... Very happy. He, well, he was incredibly surprised. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, and that thing, you know, I, I had that thing rented out a lot. And, you know, sometimes I was a Pro Tools guy. And, you know, if I was a Pro Tools guy, they were renting my rig from me. Or they had a Pro Tools guy and he was renting my rig. You know, it was sometimes a pain in the ass because... You know, renting stuff to people is always a pain in the ass. <laughs> sure. Do you remember the rate that 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 kind of oh. gear was getting back then? It's getting like four hundred bucks a week. That's not bad, man. That's no. passive income, bro. Yeah, I, it depended on the gig. You know, yeah. like whatever. I think you could get a rig for like a hundred and fifty. It was kind of weird because it's like a four day week. You know, okay. You do a four day week, three day month. So oh. if you, if the rig was rented out for a month, it'd be twelve days, and gotcha. you could get like mm-hmm. you know on a good sh- on a on a good project, you can get like two or three hundred bucks, you know, and like That's on a cheap great, one, yeah. not as much. But you know, it, it certainly added up very quickly. And then as soon as the blue HD mm-hmm. 
systems came out, the original um, Excel system that ran at 96K, mm. that was when tape was done. Right. Like, everyone dumped tape, like, almost immediately. Including DA88s and ADATs. Oh, all that Th- shit. That oh. all went out. Oh, thank God. I did a lot of records on DA88s, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. A lot. I The only thing I ever got nominated for a Grammy for, we did on ADATs. Really? Yeah. What but, was that? What'd you get um, nominated for? It was this uh, band from Mexico called Yaguares, which are a huge band in Mexico. Nice. Um, they, we did a, did a, it was a half live, it was like Wheels of Fire. It was like half live, half studio nice. record, a nice. double record. And um, did the studio half and it got nominated for the like best Latin rock album. That's and I, awesome. And I had done a lot of engineering on, I, I was originally the assistant and then I ended up doing a ton of engineering on it and getting an engineer credit. So if it had won, I would have got that Grammy, but Santana ran the table that year. Damn it, he sure did. Damn it, Carlos. <laughs> Carlos is a very nice man, but I always, yes, I will is. always hold a grudge. <laughs> That's funny. All right, all right. So, so you figured out. The, uh, sorry, I, I meant I was gonna say the game, but it, it's not a game. But you figured out how to. You know what? I'm making money on a daily basis doing what I do. You know, my uh, hours for dollars as an engineer. But I'm also renting out my gear, my yeah. system. So now I'm creating some kind of passive stream, which I love. I'm, yeah. That, I'm, that's, I'm a huge proponent of that. And you're hustling, you're doing these things, you're still playing. How did you get into the composing side? You had mentioned you worked for a composer for a while. I had, yeah, there was a guy who, like, still one of my best friends, 25 years on. Oh, awesome. He he was one of Mike's guys originally. Um, Mike and he Post, had, yeah. He, uh, he had branched off. I mean, Mike has this whole, you know, there's this whole community around, right. you know, current like the, and ex-Mike guys. Like all the big composers. Yeah. You know, Hans Zimmer has the same yeah. thing and so forth. Yeah, yeah, Mike, yeah, was yeah. The, Mike was the prototype for what Hans Zimmer was doing with film. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. Um, for TV. Yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of like having guys, you know, having a factory, you know, and yeah. the product of the factory is music. And I, and I don't mean that in any sort of like no, no. disparaging way, but it's, yeah. it, is, it is very much an industrial process when you're cranking out music on a scale like that. On that scale, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, it's daunting to be creative on an industrial scale level that's right that's right um but anyway yeah so so um this composer called me it was literally my last week at vector we were like you know tearing tearing stuff out like you know moving all the stuff off timing you know royal like royal was coming by picking up all our client stuff (laughs) uh and um i get a call and uh and and it's charlie hey man it's charlie well what's going on he's like well I, I, cause he was doing one show. He was a client. He was also a cartridge client cause oh, yeah. he had, sure. he had this great rig where, you know, cause this is in the days of samplers and D88s and stuff mm-hmm. where he had a rig where he had all his samplers and stuff racked mm-hmm. up and he would write in his office, mm-hmm. write everything, make demos, get them signed off on, you know, and, and then he'd have like a five piece band mm-hmm. and, you know, he, so he had a bunch of elements that were keeper and then like the temporary stuff that sort of did what the band was going to, going to do. Um, this was like an all it was a western he was doing, so it was like oh, all neat. acoustic stuff. Yeah. And then he would the all the samplers and stuff on the truck to the studio, hooked up, locked a picture, and then the real guys would play along with the samplers, and that wow. was your finished score. You gotta love that. And and I mean it was going straight to ta- like yeah. it was going straight to a D eighty eight live, yeah. like no wow. you know it wasn't multi tracked nothing, and it worked great. And uh, he picked up a second show, and he, he calls me up and he says like, hey, you know, I, I picked up a second show. I'm gonna be really busy in the fall, and you know, I need a guy who, like, you know, he can read music, he understands orchestration, mm-hmm. um, he understands the technology, you know, he can just kind of, like, you know, do all these things. And he's like, he's like, do you know anybody like that? I was like, yes, me. And he's like, okay, great. 
And that was that. Ah, you gotta love that. Yeah, I just like, fortunately I answered the phone and not the the other guy I worked with who probably could have done it too. See? (laughs) Tenacity, baby. You gotta grab the bull by the horns. I always say that. People are gonna get tired of hearing me say that. You have to be tenacious. You have to go for it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was one of those gigs. Like, I wasn't nervous about that one in terms of like, you know, sometimes you say yes to a gig. You know, you say yes to the gig and then you figure out how to do the gig, you know? (laughs) It wasn't really... It wasn't really like that. Like, I knew how to do everything. I wasn't worried about, like, faking it till I make it. You know, it wasn't that kind of situation. Um, and, yeah, so I worked I worked with him for a while. Unfortunately, both the shows disappeared mm. quickly un- through a series of unfortunate circumstances beyond our control. Yeah. Um, he went from having... We went from having two shows to no shows. Uh, so then I was... I was unemployed again and that's when i started getting into the that's when i started working full-time as an engineer for a while Mm. you know for there was a period of a few years there and then eventually when i got out of recording full-time which i was ready to do by then because it's you know i mean i was all i was pushing 30 when that happened and by then like i had just gotten married didn't have any kids yet or anything but i just gotten married and you know i'm working like i remember one time there was a span where 26 weeks i worked six days a week, you know, recording studio hours. So 12, you know, 12 hour day plus whatever, you know, whatever overtime and the hour oh, before to get ready. And, you know, it's brutal. And then, you know, yeah. the Sundays start disappearing as the deadline approaches. Right. So I remember falling asleep. It was 26 weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. And then we worked like all night Wednesday Dang. night to get done. And then Thursday I'm at my parents' house and I literally fell asleep at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and, um, yes. 26 weeks, that's half the year. Yeah, yeah it was half a year with, you know, maybe Sundays off. And, you know, I like... Can you say the band or no? It wasn't one project. Oh, okay. Most of it was the first Puddle of Mud record, which is oh, one of the sick. bigger records I yeah. ever worked on uh, in terms of sales. But there were a couple things leading up to that, and then that, and then we were all just like bam, bam, bam. No, you know, no time off. And which studio or various? Studios? Uh, this is a place called Third Stone, which Third is Stone. it was on. Uh, it's by the Denny's at uh, Burbank and Lancashire. Nice. And um, and uh, oh, remind me about that. I'll, I'll tell you a story about the Denny's later, but I don't want to okay, get off track. Okay. Uh, but the. You know, at that point, I wasn't exhausted, but, you know, it's like, man, I don't know if I want to work these kind of hours, like, the rest of my life, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and and then the same composer calls me up and says, hey, I got, a, I got a composing job, and I need a guy. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, uh, I'd consider it. What does it pay? And he told me what it pays, and I said, absolutely, because it, mm-hmm. it, it was a trade-up. And um, now this composer Charlie, you said? Charlie, yeah. What you can you say? Charlie name? Sidner. Sidner, uh, okay. Yeah, he's he's still one of my one of my best friends. Awesome. And he lives like five minutes that way. Really? Yeah. Um, but this was Malcolm in the Middle, so I worked on Malcolm in the Middle for five years. Oh, and I was amazing! Like, I was like Charlie's like you know guy. And uh, now were you so when you tell tell the audience what you mean by that? Uh, he I was, have an idea, a I mean, good idea of what you mean. Well, but. <laughs> he was a composer, yeah. um, and I, I did everything. He had started out as a music editor. Oh, wow. Um, you know, which is what composers do when they don't have any composing to do. That's right. Uh, so he started out as a music editor, and then eventually got bumped up to composer. That's when he called me, and they were starting this next season. So then he was the composer, but he was still also handling all the music editing, mm. uh, which is why he needed a guy. So... I started doing, like, he basically taught me how to be a competent music editor, which is a whole other job, you know, a whole other job as far as, um, you know, the combination of musical knowledge and technical knowledge and, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I got the hang of that fairly quickly. And, and then I was also doing, you know, I was his engineer 
and uh, played a bunch of guitar on stuff. And nice. you know, we just, like between the two of us, and then we also had a, a music supervisor, uh, Julie Houlihan. Oh and, yeah. yeah, John Houlihan's wife. Yeah, John Houlihan's right? yeah, yeah. wife. Uh, yeah, Kevin's uh, sister-in-law Kevin, and hey. uh, Patrick's. The the Houlihan clan. <laughs> the Houlihan. That's yeah, they're all right. music supervisors. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, so between the three of us, we basically like got everything done. You know, wow. like whatever the show needed musically, like we made it, you know, Julie found it or Charlie created it and I helped Charlie create it, you know, and, and we did everything that way. Hey, this is Scott Francisco and you're listening to The Career Musician with Nomad. Blasting the stereotype of musicians. Follow us at The Career Musician Podcast. Want to learn more about a particular topic? Tag at the career musician and use hashtag career musician to let us know what you'd like to hear. Now, did you have a flat salary with Charlie, or was he paying you as a guitar player, as an editor, as a mixer? You know, like nah, I was just like just I had a weekly weekly salary. I had a weekly rate, yeah. and uh, after the show was a big hit, it went up a little bit, which was great. Amazing. <laughs> and five years you did that. Well, yeah, I did the seasons three through seven because I've been incredible. on two already, and yeah, so that was a nice run. And we That's had a on, dream job. Yeah, it was great, and and that that was the thing. Like that was my first like TV job, and uh, the associate producer, the guy in charge of post production, would always tell me like. You know, man, they're not all like this. This is a good <laughs> it's one. Like, this is you a good out. one, man. Right. Don't don't expect all your other gigs after to this be to be like, like this. this. And yeah. you know, if he man was he right? Um, it's a trip, isn't it? Yeah, but we had an office, like you know, we were in the Norvet building at CBS Radford. So the yeah. the the main soundstage was in the f- first floor of the building. Yeah, you go up the elevator, and the writers' offices. We, you know, you get out of the elevator, and there's a suite. To the right were the writers' offices, and to the left was all of post production. Yeah editors you know all the 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 ap the post coordinator all in this one little suite of offices and then we had the other big office that usually the second editor would have because we only had one editor so charlie and i lived in there and all the music for the show unless we did a session for something which we didn't really do a ton of sessions all of it came out of there between him and me you know and charlie wrote you know he would write hand stuff off to me put the guitar on charlie there was like a lot of accordion like charlie's a good uh Keyboard, uh, keyboardist partner, and he yeah. plays accordion you know so like there's a fair amount of accordion so i'd record the accordion he you know all the keyboards would already be on there because he'd do it while he was writing then yeah. i'd play guitar then uh we have a bass player uh, dominic genova did most of the bass he'd come nice. in and play bass and that was really the only guy we recorded every week um all the drums were we do a couple sessions every once in a while and then we tend to like um like reuse uh drums and stuff yeah. Yeah, yeah um or use artificial means for drums and mm-hmm. like that's how we did the stuff week to week and then every once in a while we'd have to do some special thing where we do a proper session and you guys oh i'm oh, sorry we, we'd usually go to third stone to do the sessions which was great because i was gotcha. familiar with everything yeah and, you knew the whole rig yeah there. and we didn't need you know i could just be the engineer and yeah. you know so we we really never like you know there were very few other people involved with the music process um most of the time so you and charlie really developed a good little synergistic workflow oh yeah yeah we were very smooth very and you quickly. guys had a pro tools rig that you were working on had a couple yeah a couple of course yeah. <laughs> yeah it takes a lot of juice we had, we adopted composing and pro tools very early on oh, smart it, probably earlier than anyone should have done because uh, the MIDI and Pro Tool, we're talking like version 5. Yeah, like the wow. MIDI was just... Like when it went from 4 to 5, the MIDI was finally passable for what mm-hmm. we needed to do, mm-hmm. which was basically treating it like a tape machine. Yeah. You know, we weren't doing anything complicated. We were just playing stuff in. You know, everything was played by hand, and it had a played-by-hand kind of feel. 
and that's all we needed so we could get by like that. If we were doing like complicated MIDI stuff, it would have been a nightmare. But well, that show was perfect because yeah. it was all campy, kind of organic, yeah, and acoustic-y. It, and it started off with the like you know they might be giants doing the first two seasons, which had you know yeah. like a very sort of homemade kind of quirky vibe. So it mm-hmm. suit you know it lended itself to that. Right. You know, so we we just moved on from there. And and one of my jobs, like handling the music editing, is we would occasionally take giant stuff from early on and kind of repurpose it um, through the show to kind of keep a little bit of continuity stylistically. So they licensed some of them. They maybe giants catalog. No, it's just old cues that you know yeah, yeah. cues they had written for the first couple episodes that we would just like. Gotcha. And you know, for whatever re- the the giants had a thing where they would write a cue for a spot and then. Like whatever whatever spot they were with the queue for, the queue would end up somewhere else. It was just kind of like so this cool. weird thing, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. so talk to us about music editing. You said you also cut your teeth with Charlie there, and he yeah. taught you the ropes of that. Yeah, I mean, from from the time I was on Malcolm on, like that's been my primary source of income as a job. Mm. Uh, so we, he basically taught me like, and Charlie had been doing, you know. He had worked for Mike for a long time. He was doing music editing. You know, he was Mike's, you know, he did engineering for Mike. He wrote stuff for Mike. He wrote, you know, then he went out and got his own gigs and worked as a composer doing his own gigs. You know, he still does composing, still does music editing, just like me, you know, although he does. Like, the ratio of composing to music editing is inversely proportional for the two of us. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, he he basically taught me how to do the job. Um, And then... It, it, it's it's not a particularly difficult job on a technical level, mm-hmm. uh, you know, compared to like you know cutting up drums on records and stuff. Piece of cake. Yeah, beat detective and all that. Yeah. Crap. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but you do have to understand. You know, you have to understand filmmaking to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You have to be musical. You know, all the good music editors are musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, and one like good musicians, mm-hmm. not like I play right. a little piano kind of. Right. You know, like a like Tom Carlson is one of the best music editors, who was a Cartage client. Mm. Uh, of mine it's funny because I, I never talked about music editing with them really because i like it wasn't on my radar then wow it's wow. kind of a missed opportunity there but like um you know he, he was like a, he played tuba he was a really good tu- like mm. like session guy tuba player you know but it's like oh. do i, I want to play tuba <laughs> what an anomaly right like, yeah it's oh, like wow. you know there's only so much work for tuba <laughs> so he, like, like the old joke what's a definition of a uh what do you say uh not a oh. uh, Oh, the, an optimist. Yeah, the trombonist. Trombone player with a paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, tuba and, player with a cell phone. Yeah, and he's been one of the big, like, feature music editors for the last, I don't know, since the mid night. Like, wow. I met him in the mid '90s, and he already wow. was, and he still is. Um, and uh, yeah, so I learned. You know, Charlie taught me what I needed to know, and then I kept developing from there. And a, a lot of music editing is is, you know managing people and Mm. and you know managing the relationship between the composer and the music supervisor and the producers and sort of being a buffer between various factions Mm. not that they're necessarily in conflict but in order to you know you know you're kind of the oil in the gears that kind of keeps Mm. everything smooth and Mm. and you know all the music comes in goes through the music editor and then back out where it needs to go you know in either into the editorial process as the cuts are being developed or you know at the end of the day when we're when the show's got to get mixed you know and just dealing with all of that and then dealing with the mix stage you know you're, lot of, you're doing a lot of uh, alternate mixes and stems and breakouts and whatnot or uh, a lot of ste- cut downs a lot of stems yeah um a lot of you know most guys now are stemming stuff like anyway right like, anyway but they're sending it very wide i mean like okay. there's a lot of shows like i just did a, a sweet tooth for netflix mm-hmm. and we were stemming where basically every element 
of the mix, you know, musically, of mm-hmm. the, the mix for the cue is is its own stem yeah. you know every single thing so there's like 20 40 stems you know it's, it, which gets a, it gets nuts because then you got to think like okay well i got you know i got 20 stems of this cue and then this cue starts so it's also 20 stems so now i got 40 right. you know because they got to overlap now now it's funny because i jumped in uh with a, com- a, a production company here maybe eight nine years ago or so and that's when I really cut my teeth on building those stems for uh-huh. the editors, for the show editors. Uh-huh. And it's like the editors are acting as a composer in their own right, or oh, some yeah. kind of a sub-composer, right? Well, How did this all... Yeah, tell us the history on that. Well, I deal mostly with scripted, you know, single-camera stuff, you know, like okay. mostly... To, I prefer working in television to working in features for mm-hmm. mostly personal life reasons and mm-hmm. like because i have kids and i want to see them and you know that's right um but the you know the scripted you know single like stuff that's shot like a movie for television mm-hmm. so generally the the editors will either give me a blank you know i'll get an editor's cut and there's no music in it like here you go mm-hmm. do it tip the whole thing um which is fine i like i actually like working that way um it's a lot of extra work, but a the temp score is much better than the editors can do, and that's nothing on the editors. Right. Like even the ones who are really good with music, there's only so many hours in the day. It's time constrained. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's extremely exactly. time consuming yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. So and to do both of those jobs is come on. Yeah. yeah, and there are some editors who <laughs> insist on doing their own music. Like, <laughs> no man, I don't want I don't want you touching the music. I'm like, all right, <laughs> have a ball. But the thing that sucks for that usually is that if I do the temp music, it's I'm. I'm usually working with the stems. I'm very, you know, I'm crafting stuff very carefully and it's much more polished than the picture editor or, or the picture editor's assistant or whoever is cutting the music over on that side could sure. get it. Cause generally they're dealing with the stereo mixes, right. you know, they're not like getting, in, getting into the stems. That's, that's too much. <clears throat> and they don't have the familiarity with the material that I have. And it depends also on where we are in the process. Like if, if it's the first few episodes of a show, there is no music. There's no music we own, so it's got to you know I got to temp it from whatever, and that's going to sort of inform what the composer is eventually going to write to a certain degree. Do you pull degree. from your catalog or other catalogs or um, an amalgam? I generally, well, it's pretty rare that anything I've written from my personal stuff would be perfect for whatever I'm looking for anyway. Like that, yeah. So I mean, if I did, I would stick it in there, and I would as long, but I'd make sure it's like, hey, I wrote that. I'm not trying to like stuff my own shit in your show i just had it handy yeah if it works it works um but you know there's there's the when the music library is all shifted to like being able to like search everything online yes where you didn't need like a cds and or a big heart you know hard drive and all that stuff audio baby it's so much easier (laughs) but uh a lot of what i do is either from material i already have from shows i've done or shows i've gotten from other guys you know we kind of like there's a little black market and Mm-hmm. in you know music from shows and uh my wife also is involved with tv music so i can get stuff from her and sometimes it's easy sometimes it's great if you can find stuff from a show you already worked on that you can use for temp because you have the stems and you can do much more with it right. which is really great um but you know you find it just wherever anything's fair game it's temp we're not going to keep it we don't have to you know like it doesn't matter what it would cost to license because we're not going to use it right um right. you know and and everybody knows like the the temp score you know we can't use it yeah. So if it's a Coldplay song, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's just temp. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, mostly I'm not talking even about songs as much as, you know, like score. Score. Like, you know, right. the songs usually, like, usually the music supervisor will send in songs. That's right. And, That's you know, true. it's like, okay, great, I'll cut these in. If I have a great idea, I'll stick mine in if it's, you know, yeah. usually if it's, usually that's okay. Um, and then we'll go from there. And then once the show has a a library of, of its own music that it owns and we can keep, then I can start cutting that stuff in. And then hopefully, like uh, a lot of shows we do, like uh, I do a lot of stuff with uh, Joe LaDuca. He's like the main composer I do stuff for. And um, he tends to work with like genre shows, like like we're doing the Chucky series for <laughs> Peacocks, the next thing we're doing. And stuff like that, you know, there tends to be a lot of music, more than a composer could be expected to write week to week. Mm. So it's the idea is like, of the stuff I'm cutting in, I'm trying to get keepers, you know, stuff we can just keep that's already that already exists that the composer doesn't have to write. And every time I do that, I get a little gold star from the composer. Mm. So if I can cut the temp score, I can get more of those than if the if the editors do, because I'm going to give it much more attention. And you're sourcing those from libraries? I'm sourcing that stuff from the stuff that already exists for the show, so we can oh, keep it. Oh, okay. Right? So you're repurposing what's already yeah. there. Yeah. And every time I do that for the composer, it's like, ding. Right. Nice job. Now he's happy. I like you. You know, you're, uh, you're, <laughs> you're getting, saving me hours of work. Saving hours of work, and you're getting multi uses on one piece. Yeah, and 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 a lot of shows like that, you know, that's part of the process. It's not yeah. like it's not like some sneaky trick we're doing. It's no. like that's just how it works. And it keeps it cohesive. It yeah. all sounds smooth and connected. Yeah. And then when you're talking about like like the stuff where the editors are cutting up stems, like yeah. for like more sort of reality based, like yes. foodies. Foodies Thank is a you. perfect example. There's no music editor. Like right, the editors yeah. are cutting all that stuff in, and they're and they're quick, cutting it quick, like like they're cutting sound. And it's <laughs> it was kind of funny because we actually we we had a fast foodies episode. We just had the audio of, and we wanted to listen to it down to see where the you know where our tracks popped up. Right. And it was jarring to listen to yeah. without watching because without watching it, then right. you really realize like how brutally, how much they're going from track to track and how brutal it is when right. they're cutting. And, and you know, I, I think in that case, like those guys, like there is no music editor to smooth out your edits, so they need the stems, you know. So yeah. they're they're getting the stems and they're, they're probably trying not to touch them if they don't have to. Right, you know? right, but right. Because it saves them time. Yeah, and the, but the the reality thing is, yeah, that's its own animal. And there's, the game. there's generally, uh, uh, you know, the picture editors generally cut their own music and they have a lot more... The, the editorial staffing is larger because they have so much footage. You know, there's guys that have to log all that footage. There's guys who have to cut, you know, sequences together. And then there's, mm -hmm. you know, the editor who, like, cuts the sequences together into the show. And, and you know, the music's getting handled along with all of that. So right. that, that's its own that's its own other beast. You know, because, like, the stuff we did for Foodies, we weren't scoring to picture. You know, nope. it's not like we got a cut of the show and we wrote the music. We just, like, wrote a bunch of tracks. We got a brief. Yeah, says, it's like, yeah, we want yeah. stuff like this. Okay, and then we knock it out. It's more like making a little tiny record, you know? That's right. That's, that's what Eric right. and I were doing. We were just making yeah. little records, you yeah. know, which is, like, the kind of stuff we were doing because we were, I was, with Eric, I was doing, like, all the rock and roll stuff. So it was yeah. all... Real drums, real guitars, Black real bass. Type vibes. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. like that was pretty time intensive as opposed it to is. doing like, yeah. you know, like the electronic stuff or the more uh -huh. hip hop stuff where you, you got loops, you got yeah. synths. You know, it's 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 not any easier, but it's less uh, less uh, manpower intensive for yeah. sure. Yeah. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. No, that's why it was great. We made a great team. Because, uh, funny, my studio guy, Eric, <laughs> we both have an Eric that we work with. Um, he and I were doing the same thing, just in you know different process. Because, obviously, Eric Valentine plays drums. Eric G, who works with me, plays keys. Right. But you and I both play guitar, so it was neat. We were we were getting a lot of catalog in that show. Yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll see some good you know residuals from that show. But what I'm teaching my listeners about here too as well, the career musician, our premise is our, our mission statement is you know uh, sustainability, right? Right. How to have a long term sustainable career. Yeah. And that's why I, I kind of started with you in that fashion to pick your brain. And you're a great example of that. Yeah. You have to diversify. Yeah. Right? And the fast foodies thing was a great, like, when I first heard of, when Eric first told me about that, I'm like, dude, that is, like, right in my wheelhouse. It's like, it. yeah. it's like, you know, making little rock and roll records for TV. Like, that is that, my... And it's fun. That, that yeah. is my skill set. Like, that ticks every box on my skill set perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. You know. Now, now, okay, you've told us so much, and thank you for, for sharing with all of your experience throughout, you know, the different facets of the industry. Tell us what what you see on the horizon if, if a young musician comes up to you and says, Scott, man, I, I want to do what you do. And, you know, she or he uh, or them, they play, you know, whatever instruments and they have, you know, a varied set of skills, but they just kind of don't have their, you know, their path set out yet. What are you going to tell them? Uh, well, keep an open mind. And, you know, I didn't, it's not like I planned all this out. It's like opportunities <laughs> presented themselves to me and I took them and mm -hmm. that's where I'm at. And, you know, part of me is like, you know, part of me is bummed that I'm not John Williams but yeah. my consolation prize is a solid career in show business so far. So, you know, that's right. It's worked out. Um, that's but, so funny you say that because I can relate. Part of me is bummed that I'm not, you know, uh, with Brian Tyler or, you know, Tyler Bacon, you know, two yeah. of my favorites, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the big thing for me is like, you know, try not to pigeonhole yourself too early. And you have to learn, you have to really learn the technology because it's, there is the technology is advanced to the point where you don't need you know you don't need an engineer right well you need it you need to you need someone in the room has to know how to do this stuff right, 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 right. but you don't need an engineer per se because there is no console there's no tape machine mm -hmm. you know here's a laptop can you make can you get good sounds out of that that, that that's one of the things that bums me out about um like because I, I worked on girls right and Mm -hmm. Our end title was always a different song. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd go to Black, there'd be a song. You know, HBO, you can get away with that. And it's so funny because it, it was mostly like, you know, hot off the presses kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, stuff that's trending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, various, like not any one genre necessarily, but like kind of the, you know, it was usually the hot new thing. And um, there was more than a few times the, the, the re recording mixer would, we'd get to that song. And she'd hear it for the first time, and she would turn around to me and look at me like, "Is this an MP3?" 
which is you know, <laughs> like, uh, no, it's not an MP3. It's it just, just sounds like ass. <laughs> and and she's a very the re- the re-recording mixer. She was a very good engineer. She like she worked for Rick Rubin and stuff. So oh, she, wow, yeah. you know she knows what's she up. Knows shit, yeah. um, as well as you know, having a wall full of Emmys. And so, so she'd look at me like, well, like, you know, is this an MP3? I'm like, no, that's just what the track sounds like. I, I had an irate uh, mixer call me one different mixer call me one time because we had um, that um, Imagine Dragons song uh, Demons. Oh, yeah. Right. With that really weird drum sound. Mm-hmm. Like, call me up from the stage. Like, call me at home. Like, dude, what's up with this song? This file's all messed up. It's like, what are you talking about? It's, it's like, it's all distorted and it sounds or what'd you do? And I'm like, no, man, that's what the song sounds like. Sorry. That's <laughs> a like, high res file. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a <laughs> 48K wave, yeah, that's wave and that is actually what the song sounds like. <laughs> and yeah, that's Imagine Dragons. It's not like, right. you know, some like band you never heard of. Right. And so... But you have to go with the times. That's yeah, and sound. like, yeah. It, it does bug me too. I, I hear stuff now and it's just like, why is the vocal distorted? Like... I've spent my entire career trying to make stuff not distorted, and now everything's distorted. Why? Because that's the easiest thing to do if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. if you can't make it sound good, make it sound weird. You know, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a cop out. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but wow. I'm just an old, an old guy <laughs> shouting into the void. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, okay, so any last uh, words of wisdom? Oh yes, I do have one thing I wanted to, one point I wanted to make. Yeah. Um, when I got into music editing, the big thing about music editing is very often you make, you're, you're getting paid by the episode. Mm. And, you know, you have your deadlines, you have the work to do, and you're not necessarily living there. You know, you're not living, I mean, the Malcolm thing was kind of a weird, you know, that was kind of an, a, an exception to the rule. But, you know, generally you're not living with your show. It's like you have the work, you know, I work at home in my pajamas most of the time. Yeah. So the only thing limiting me in terms of what I can make is how many shows I can I can manage, you know, how much work I can get done without spreading myself too thin. Week, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no longer am I getting dollars for hours. You know, I'm getting right. dollars for a piece of work done. That's when I started to really make some some dough. And that doesn't just apply to music editing. Like there's a That's lot right. of other jobs that are like that. Not all of them. Like like if you're a recording mixer, um, well, at least pre COVID, you were at a dub stage working, you know, ten hours a day or whatever it is, and yeah. you know, there was no way to get a you know, there's no way to go away from that. But you know, music editing, composers, you know, various other things. And now, like, a lot of editors are working from home. You know, in, in the COVID era, everyone moved home, figured out they could do it just fine from home. That's right. So I think some of that's not not going to go away ever. That's right. And, you know, if you can knock out work from home, you can do as much, you know, it's up to you how much work you can do if you can get the work and you can really get ahead uh, you know, you, you can you can do a lot better than just getting by that way. Right. Let me add this though, that's when you must really learn how to successfully self manage. Yes, you have to. Yeah. You have to manage your time, and if you have kids, you have to be able to manage your kids. That's right. And yeah, and fortunately, for me, my I mean, my kids are a little bit older now, so they're not super. You know, they're middle schoolers. They're not. Yeah. You know, like. When my, here, my yeah, daughter, yeah, like when my when my kids were you know like two and four, yeah, that was really hard. Of course, that was really hard, and yeah. and sometimes I didn't think I was gonna make it, um, but <laughs> the you know eventually you get over that hump where your kids can like okay can you go do something for half an hour okay great bye <laughs> you know so that that's been good but like I have time like I've you know I coach baseball. Nice. You know, I can get my work done. Sometimes I got to stay up late, but you know, it's yeah. like I can coach baseball. I can have dinner with my family, and I can still get all this work done. That's you know? a good thing. And 
the composing stuff's a little harder because those deadlines are sometimes kind of nuts and yeah. sometimes I got to disappear for a week, but you know, that's okay. My wife, my, <laughs> my wife can handle it. And, she uh, gets it. but it's weird. Like I disappear for a week, but I'm still home. Right. Of course. I'm home. You're just, you're not going to see me. Studio home. Yeah. I'm yeah, out, yeah. I'm out in the studio, yeah. which is separate from the house. And yep. you know, you'll see the me best. every time I have to pee and that's about it. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, what does your wife do? You said she works in TV music. She works for Warner brothers. Yeah. She works in the TV music department, uh, doing administrative type oh, stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'm sure she's, uh, I'm sure she's uh, signed your checks I for bet. a few things. I bet. Well, tell her hi. What's her name? <laughs> Susan. Susan. Susan Francisco. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, good to good to meet you, Susan. Via <laughs> your 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 other half because yeah. she's the better half to you, uh, <laughs> right? All the wives are the better half. Um, what was I going to say? Yes. What happened at Denny's? Oh, okay. So one of the one of the projects I worked on at Third Stone was Mick Jagger's uh, "Got Us in the Doorway" album. Oh, wow. Which was really cool. Uh, Third Stone was kind of a weird place because it was. It was a pretty good-sized studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had two rooms, and the larger tracking room was pretty spacious. I mean, you could easily do... Like, we did tons of... You know, it was a great drum room, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, to do a rock band, it's great. But you could also fit, like, you know, I think I the biggest session I did in there was, like, maybe 20 guys, but it was... You could have fit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it was a good-sized room. Uh, but we kind of became, like, the Cadillac overdub place. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd go to, like, NRG or, yeah. you know capital or whatever and track your drums and then you come to third stone and like set up all your shit and do your overdubs for months at a time love that so for like the jagger thing that's what happened they were they tracked all over the place and then they were just doing like vocals and some guitars and stuff yeah there and it was great for him because he just booked the whole building you know both rooms the whole building it was just him nobody hassling him wow you know it was great but anyway, and and he was really great to work with, and it was just you know it was him, the the producer, uh, the engineer, Rich Chicky was the engineer. Oh. He was a really good engineer. Who's the producer? Uh, Marty Fred- Fredrickson. Gotcha. Um, who did? What was the? He did all the songs for. Um, what was the Cameron Crowe movie? But the uh, almost famous was that the Cameron? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, he did all those songs and all the singing, like all of Billy Crudup's singing. I think is him. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, yeah. So. We're there one day, and and they're arguing about what they want for lunch, <laughs> and uh, it is a bunch of English guys, you know, arguing with a you know, or a half English guys, half American guys, yeah. with a they were watching Premier League soccer in Spanish on oh, TV because that's the only way you could get it, uh, and they're arguing about lunch, and finally Mick goes, "Hey man, let's just go to Denny's. I'm not a snob." So immediately I'm like, Mick, Mick, we're going to Denny's and I'm buying. I'm taking you to Denny's. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and eventually he chickened out and they like ordered okay. from Zomba or somewhere. But, you know, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I, I was this close to going to Denny's with Mick Jagger. So You got to love that. But he would have been clobbered the, <laughs> the moment he walked out of the car to go into the parking lot and said, just forget about it. Yeah, I don't know. But, know uh, yeah, it would have been fun. That would have been crazy. And all I got, all I got was a, you know, a decent story out of it. That's a killer story. <laughs> I love it. Scott, where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Facebook, and otherwise I'm pretty anonymous. Okay. <laughs> it's so funny. Because well, I have my website. I should, ScottFranciscoMusic.com. Is, that's my website. Scott? Yeah, Scott Francisco, just like the city. Francisco. Uh, music.com. Music.com. Okay. Yeah. It's so funny because a lot of people in the biz prefer to stay anonymous and behind the scenes. and. You know, rightfully so, because a lot of the stuff you're working on, you have to sign NDAs, or you just can't talk about it. Eh, yeah, know? to a certain degree, but, it, you know, mostly it's like I have my clientele, and, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't need, uh, you know, my, my clientele is very specific to, to the business, right. and I know who I, like, like, the people I need to know, I know, and I'm good, so I don't That's need it. to, like, yeah. you know... 
but uh, yeah, there's all my like I got all my stuff on my website, so you can check out like I got like you know some of my music and uh, some video and stuff. So perfect, it's all there. Brother, thank you so much. I my can't, pleasure. I can't wait to get you here at my studio to help me rewire some things. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'll uh, fire up the soldering iron. There you go. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.